0: This is the Red Sox Precap with your hosts, Keaton DeRocher and Shelly Verstrait, part of the Over the Monster Podcast Network.
1: And welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast for episode 218 of our wonderful show. I am your host, Jake Devereaux, and today, as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Keaton
0: DeRocher what's up my friend not much been a busy monday but happy to be talking to you yeah man it sure has um you know we're we're
1: recording this a little bit later than we usually do uh post Sox game post bruins game for for my benefit here um which uh, unfortunately didn't end the way that i wanted it to um but we're going to be talking about lots of great topics here on this show uh, we're going to get you caught up on some news and notes, including some Chris Sale updates, uh, the players to be named later in the Benintendi trade. We'll talk about that. And then we're going to hit on the bullpen uh, quite a bit, as well as the leadoff situation for this team, before we get to some listener questions. So let's get right into it, Keaton. We have no time to spare. Um, so Red Sox are uh, currently hot. Uh, they've won, what is this, their fifth win in a row or sixth win in a row? I think fifth? it's their fifth, yeah. Five, yeah, five in a row right now, including a sweep of the freaking Yankees in the Bronx, which made me uh, very, very, very happy. Um, they're they're currently 37-23, which is uh, the best they've been, uh, or the most games over 500 they've been this year. And they're just a half game behind the Rays. Five and a half games up on Toronto and a whopping six games up on the New York Yankees. Doesn't that make you happy?
0: It sure does. Especially that, that sweep. I mean, I know a lot of things didn't go right last year, but every time we face the Yankees, just getting crap dumped on our head, it doesn't feel great. Like, I would be fine with a season where the Red Sox win 15 games. Literally, 15 and 37. <laughs> and all 15 wins are against the Yankees. I would consider that season a success. So it was nice to finally, and in their house, get a nice little sweep, vaulted us right back up uh, into almost a tie here uh, with Tampa Bay after slipping a bit, and they came back down to life. I feel a lot better this Monday than I did a week ago when we recorded.
1: Yeah, it's not too typical to uh, get a sweep in the Bronx, so that was pretty nice. And I think the way that it happened, too, just the fact that, you know, the Red Sox did face some adversity at different times in that series and were able to bounce back and get key contributions from so many guys. Uh, it it just felt really good. And it also just felt good, you know, the old uh, well-laid plans by the Yankees just going awry and that lineup <laughs> that we've talked about, you know, so much on this show uh, for the Yankees is being overrated. You know, the rest of the nation is starting to see that this is a – historically bad uh, Yankees lineup. Um, so, you know, I'm proud that we pointed that out, Keaton.
0: Yeah, and completely unrelated to anything we're talking about right now, but it just kind of perked in my mind. Um, but you're a, you're a well-traveled man who knows history and words. Um, why is it that the uh, best laid plans of men get compared with those best played laid plans of mice? I have no idea. Yeah, why? Why are they included in that saying? I don't know. Yeah,
1: no clue. Weird.
0: Anyway, yeah, yeah.
1: sorry to let you down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, we'll move off of our shot and here uh, to to talking about um, you know what this means for the rest of the division. It's obviously going to be a dogfight here. You know, we spent last week talking a lot about. Uh, what this upcoming stretch of 17 games in a row was going to mean to the Red Sox in terms of where they're going to be uh as sellers um still a long ways to go in this 17 game stretch but you know the sweep of the Yankees winning you know that that one off against Miami to complete the sweep of that series um you know now facing a a tall task with Houston coming in um they've got they've got a lot to go but I feel pretty good about this right now.
0: How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel good after five straight wins, including a sweep of the Yankees. I think... um, I feel like the mood could probably get swung either way with the series against the Astros after they just kicked their butts uh, a mere four games ago. Um, We're right back at it again. It looks like the pitching matchups line up a little bit more favorably, favorably for the Red Sox this time, so um hopefully that actually you know stays true but uh it's not it's going to be a tough series if they take two out of three um or by some uh wild magic sweep the astros um i think you and i both in, <clears throat> in last week's roundtable thought that the red sox should be buyers coming to down to the line i don't think you need to wait until you get through that stretch like having a strong showing against the Astros, strong showing against the Yankees, I would feel good about it. Especially only being a half game back from Tampa Bay right now. like The playoffs are well within reach, and even a division title, and you know the potential to make a deep run, as they did have the best record in baseball for a stretch here. Um, I've seen all that I need to see. I think they can do it, which is completely ass-backwards to how I was coming into the season. I didn't uh-huh. think they had a shot. But you, Mr... Mr. Optimistic nailed it <laughs> <laughs> and here we are, uh, with a fun little baseball team. So I don't yeah, it's I think if they get swept again by the Astros, then they need to kind of take take stock. And the Astros are a really good team. Yeah. They got off to a slow start, they had a ton of injuries. So it was kind of tough to judge how they actually looked. Like their pitching coming into the, the, the four game series against the Red Sox was ranked twenty sixth in major league baseball. Three out of the four starters that the Red Sox faced, though, had ERAs under three. Mm. But they were hurt. And yeah, so they right. didn't have a lot of innings. And so the guys that they had replaced them were terrible. They just didn't have depth. Now they got them all healthy. The lineup is still one of the best in baseball. And now it's kind of just all clicking. If they can keep pace, like, winning, taking two out of three would be three and five in the eight games. Uh, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Four and three would be seven games. Three <laughs> Math is hard. Anyway, they would split 4, th- four 3. Yes. Yeah, so that'd be pretty even. That would be keeping pace with them. i feel pretty good about that. If the Astros stomped them again, then they might have to kind of take stock of where they think their position is in the American League. But I don't think it's far behind them. It, I mean, it's clearly above Toronto and the Yankees, who we thought were going to have a really good year, but have been killed with terrible pitching and injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's space between the two. So, yeah, I think. I don't think I need to get through the entire stretch to have a, a good feel on where the Red Sox are. I think after this Astro series, we'll know.
1: Yeah, I agree with you um, because I, I think the Astros are a much more complete baseball team than Toronto or Atlanta. The two teams uh, coming up after them, um, and you know, thankfully, uh, it, as I knew nothing about this guy Luis, what was it, Luis Garcia from Houston, who just destroyed us. Uh, in the last start, and you were pointing out that Shelley had said he was pretty good, and lo and behold, he was pretty good. So I'm happy we avoid him this time, but we have some favorable matchups there. You know, Martin Perez versus Framber Valdez. It's hard not to feel good about Martin Perez, the way he's throwing the ball. Eovaldi yeah. looked awesome against the Yankees. He's going against Jake Odorizzi, who kind of sucks. And then Eduardo Rodriguez, if he can continue to use that changeup, uh going against old man Zach Granky. I mean Granky's awesome. So that, that's probably a bit of a toss up there. But you know, I like that the Red Sox have been playing a little bit better at home. So yeah, I agree with you. But the other thing I think that factors into this too, Keaton, is that you know, regardless of what they do against the Astros, Red Sox probably could stand to add to this team anyway, because as uh Chris Hatfield of Sox Prospects has pointed out online and a few other writers have picked up on this, they have a kind of a tremendous amount of guys that need to be uh, added to the 40-man roster uh, after this upcoming season or they risk losing them to the Rule 5 draft. So there is like a fair amount of fungible guys that are pretty good, like good enough for other teams to be interested in trading for them that, you know, even if they don't do the big splash that we really want them to do, like go out there and get Max Scherzer or something, like... They can definitely go out and address second base or, or first base or you know plug left field or you know something like that um, or pick up a reliever or, or whatever. Like they they've got the depth to do it because Bloom's done such a good job of collecting assets over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And that was the topic of uh, last week's roundtable. Essentially, was how early is too early for the Red Sox to be buyers if you believe they should be buyers. Uh, what was your response to that? Uh, I really didn't address the how early part.
1: Uh, I basically said that they've already shown enough uh, that they should be buyers. So, you know, I'm I'm in on this team. I've seen enough at this point. I've seen consistency through the rotation, a good enough bullpen, which we'll talk about later on in the show today, um, and an excellent offense. So I am full in on investing, I think, Pulling the trigger on a deal anytime between now and the All-Star break or multiple deals is smart and, uh, you know, uh, deserved for this group who has just battled back time and time again. They, you know, lead the league. We've talked about this in um, comeback victories. And I just don't think that that's any sort of weird fluke or coincidence. Alex Cora has these guys playing really inspired baseball. And you saw that in the Yankees series, how whenever they got down, it was just... There was just complete belief in their ability to come back uh, and you know Xander basically willing the team to victory in that last game. it was it was pretty amazing to see. It sure was. Maybe
0: a little help from uh, old blue there behind the plate, but
1: take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, little Chris sale update here. Uh, things are trending up. He had a successful bullpen sesh uh last week and uh you know Cora said on the radio today that he might be facing some live hitters soon so he is actually uh, with the team this week and uh throwing at Fenway so it's starting to get exciting you know if if you look at the timeline for him right now, it kind of looks like he could be back right around the all-star break maybe a week or so after but right around that area if everything continues to trend well.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about this, particularly because the starting pitching has been so good. And then to be able to add healthy Chris Sale to that is just, I want it. I want it, man. I mean, (laughs) that's the kind of thing, like having him back and even just his presence is going to be enough to spark the rest of the rotation to continue their success or like even take it up a notch just because he's back. So like yeah, even if it takes him a bit to adjust to being back on the mound again, which but I mean let's be honest, it probably will. Come back from Tommy John happens to everyone. Um, just the fact that he's there and his mere presence is going to be a lift to everybody in the dugout. Yeah, I mean
1: in any role that he comes back, you know, I, I assume <clears throat> that they will want him in a starter's role uh, when he comes back. But you know, even if initially. Um, the starting rotation, let's just say everybody's going really well in the starting rotation and he is not quite stretched out enough. Like even if they used him in a Garrett Whitlock role for a little while until he got fully stretched out, that would be a weapon, a game changing weapon, uh, in the bullpen. And, you know, Cora was saying this, I I think it was, yeah, I think it was Cora who said this or maybe, no, it was Bloom. It was Bloom. Um, And I'm paraphrasing here, but he was talking about how, you know, Sale and Duran potentially could be just as big or bigger than any sort of additions that could be made on the trade market. And those are coming internally, uh,
0: potentially later in the year. I'm fine with that, but I just don't want – I'm just going to be annoyed if people are like, oh, we don't need to make any moves at the trade deadline because getting Sale and Duran is like we made a trade at the deadline. No, they're already on the, on the roster. It doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you,
1: man. I, I think it's, it's better to go overboard here than it is to be conservative, especially with the team uh, performing the way that they have. So, you know, I, I love the news about Chris Sale. Um, and, you know, I've, as we've seen with some of these other guys, like Syndergaard having a setback, there's no guarantee that you come back healthy from Tommy John. So right now the fact that we haven't really gotten any negative news is – Tremendously positive at this point. Yep, that's it. Um, All right, so the thing that we promised you would be resolved. Um, Last week on the podcast, the players to be named later in the uh, Andrew Benatendi trade have finally come through. So, Keaton, tell us all about these players that we are getting back.
0: Yeah, the Red Sox received uh, right fielder Freddie Valdez from the Mets, who Fangraphs had ranked uh, number 18 in their system. Uh, they also landed Grant Gambrill from Kansas City, a uh, 23-year-old uh, listed as a relief pitcher. Um, we'll see if that that is actually how the Red Sox end up utilizing him. Uh, he was ranked number 21 on Kansas City's Fangraphs list. And then Louis De La Rosa, 18 starting pitcher, who was not on Fangraph's Kansas City's uh, top prospect list, which went 51 deep. So he is uh, deep in that system of Kansas it's City. A deep cut. Yeah, real <laughs> deep. Um, I mean, this is kind of what we expected we were going to get like back end top 30 guys, or in some cases, beyond. <laughs> right. Um, Plus Josh Winkowski, though, right? True. Yeah. Who, who's been great. great. I think um because these guys are so young, uh, Valdez is 19. Taylor Ross is 18. Um we got a lot to see. Uh these are basically just moonshots that you're hoping hit. Um chances are they probably won't, but if you find something in in one of these guys then you know that's kind of the plus. So this is basically exactly what we thought we were going to get in the players to be named later. Um they're kind of interesting, they're really young, they have far out ETAs, maybe they'll work out.
1: Yeah, and I think the guy who interests me most is Freddy Valdez, who you said came in at 18th on that uh, Mets list for Fangraphs, he was 17th on the Mets list for Baseball America, uh, and in his scouting report for uh, Baseball America, you know they note a couple things that are interesting about him. First of all, he signed for $1.4 million, uh, which is a pretty big bonus for a J2 guy out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, And they recorded uh, some pretty sexy exit velocities uh, from him. So uh, they said in the same neighborhood as prospects Brett Batty and Mark Vientos, who are two super strong guys, and they even noted uh, a 450-foot home run that he hit. So it seems like there's some pretty damn good power here, 6'3", 210 pounds already at his age. Um, So, you know, this is a very physical player uh there is swing and miss to his game but you know it, it seems like the power is good and the approach is pretty decent so um I'm very intrigued by by Freddy Valdez and you know sometimes these j2 guys they pop um so it's nice to get a few lottery tickets
0: yeah de la Rosa is a little interesting to me as well um I mean you know from our time doing dynasty's child I love me some j2 signees. Mm-hmm. all in on those um, he was actually the uh, Kansas City Dominican Summer League Pitcher of the Year. Oh wow! Um, in 2018, as an 18 year old, had a 2.33 ERA, uh, 10 and runs in 38 and two thirds innings, and that was 52 strikeouts with a .9 whip and a .197 batting average against. So it's it's hard to. Um, kind of figure out what you might be able to project from that because it wasn't stateside and it was in a developmental league. So it was with a bunch of other guys who are trying to develop at the game of baseball. Yeah. Uh, so he could have been just a little bit more developed than them, or he could just be a little bit more talented than them. We'll have to wait to see, um, but certainly not a bad start to uh, you know his minor league career.
1: Yeah, definitely an interesting guy. And, You know, we won't know who truly won the Benintendi trade until like, I don't know, what, five, six years down the road at this point. Yeah. Um, But I feel good enough about the full return for Benintendi that I'm totally fine with it. I'm not having any
0: second thoughts. Are you? I mean, yeah, I had second thoughts from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) But but that was just because we disagreed on whether or not he could get back to yeah. His old self. I thought he could do it in Boston. Um you you didn't, but I think you know, they're doing fine without him, so maybe maybe not. Yeah. Like I don't think they would be uh any different uh where they are in the standings with or without Ben and
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Um well
1: speaking of one of the pieces. That was involved in said Benintendi trade. What's going on with our man Franchi?
0: Yeah, Franchi, um, I can't remember. Well, it must have been two podcasts ago. Um, we brought up that might be nice to see him go down AAA, uh, get regular at bats, kind of right the ship a bit before giving it another go. Um, ship looks like it's being righted. Pretty well. Uh, Nine games down AAA so far, slashing 378, 410,
1: 838, four dingers. That'll do,
0: pig. That'll do. Yeah, that feels pretty nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, hopefully this stint gives him his confidence back. He is not as bad of a big leaguer as he looked like when he was up here. Something was off. Confidence was off. Whatever. I don't know what it was, but hopefully these regular bats and this success propels him to be a useful piece here in the future. Cause I, I still have confidence that there's something there.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has yet to actually make it through a season healthy, first of all. So the fact that he hasn't gotten hurt yet, has gotta be good for his confidence, but particularly in Boston, like when you start struggling and it doesn't get better, the pressure just snowballs at an absurd rate that, I think he needed to take a step back, get down to AAA, kind of get his confidence back, give it another go. I think I'm with you. I think um he definitely is better, a better major leaguer than when he showed in his first kind of dish here with the Red Sox. Um I don't know if he's, like, going to be lineup changing, mm-hmm. but it was so bad. Like, that's that's just not – you have to be able to get more – like, particularly – um He barely hit for power, which is his literal calling card. Yeah, (laughs) that was the weirdest thing. Yeah. And I I think that, like, it's not going to blow you away with average, but kind of like something similar to Renfro where you're hitting, like, 250, 260 um, isn't much to ask. Yeah. It kind of feels like where he should be while, like, hitting a bunch of homers. Uh, And he wasn't anywhere near it either of those. So I think... Just kind of getting his feet right in AAA is exactly what he needed, and um, hopefully this continues for like another couple of weeks, and then he can come back and try again. Um,
1: I think he can eventually be what Renfro is now at some point. Um, I, I think that's in there. If he can stay healthy and get his confidence right, I think that's a good comp for him. I've always kind of thought that was the comp uh, for him. But if you haven't checked out any of the uh, Franchi – uh, home runs from down in Worcester. The park, you know, really flies out with the jet stream there. So, um, some of those shots were majestic. So, I do recommend watching some Franchi home run videos if you haven't had a chance. Because we didn't get to see any in Boston. We saw one really far. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> How far did that sucker go? It was like 470 or something dumb.
0: Yeah. Yeah. four four was... 474. Ugh, wow. Okay.
1: Well, moving on. Um, Our main topic of the night is discussing the bullpen. Um, The bullpen has been really, really interesting. So over the last two weeks, from uh, the 24th of May, Adam Adovino, Garrett Whitlock, Josh Taylor, of all people, uh, Darwinson Hernandez have thrown 16.1 innings, or 16 in a third innings, as I'm trying to train myself to say, and not allowed a run. Uh that's pretty good. Um and in particular, you know, Josh Taylor has been impressing the hell out of me. Um Sawamura, who we didn't list here, had a very impressive outing against the Yankees as well over two innings this weekend. I mean, talk to me about the bullpen Keaton. This has been an area that you've been paying a lot of attention to this year. Uh and in particular, like some of the guys who we left for dead like Josh Taylor have come Roaring back and are now looking like the best version of themselves that we've seen at any point.
0: Yeah, some of those names are expected. Uh, Ottavino, Whitlock, even Derwin's Hernandez has his hot streaks, so two weeks of no runs, sure. But Josh Taylor is the one that really stuck out. And the biggest hat tip to him is that yesterday uh, against the Yankees on Sunday, uh, up one in the eighth. Josh Taylor came in to bridge to Barnes after Ottavino had cleared the seventh. Uh, Major nod from Alex Cora to Josh Taylor for his success over the past couple weeks. His success actually extends even further than that. uh, the last two weeks. I don't think he's given up a run in a month. Um, Started out with an ERA after his first handful of starts, ERA over 14. Now it's down to almost under four. Uh, And it just continues to rack up strikeouts and and be dominant. And the fact that he came in, in in the eighth in a one-run game to bridge to Barnes, I think says a lot about how much confidence Cora has with the way that he's pitching right now. And it's hard not to buy into it because it's been such an extended streak. Josh Taylor was one of the guys that um, Alex Cora had named specifically um, in his time away from the team last year that he was looking for uh, them to develop, Um, apparently stayed in touch, uh, and was hoping that, he could start to kind of build off of his fastball more, um, and become kind of that more elite, high leverage reliever. He had a really bad 2020, though, and had a really bad start to this year. He to... in 2020, didn't he? Too yeah, yeah. So I, I was ready to just toss him aside. I had a pretty strong 2019, so he had at least had some kind of, um, you know, track record of being successful. Cora obviously stuck with him, and it was, it, you know, Josh Taylor repaid the faith with kind of becoming one of the, the back-end relievers that the, the Red Sox can rely on. I mean, I think I came into the season with only Ottavina and Barnes people that I felt confident about in a close game. And I feel confident about all of these guys plus Saramora, uh and Barnes. The fact that they have so many options to bridge a five, six, seven inning start to the end of the game now is such a game changer. We've seen over the past couple of years, how not having those guys and those specific roles uh, just wreaks havoc on your bullpen. And the fact that they've now have these guys and multiple options um, to get there. I mean, this is one of the best bullpens in major league baseball right now. It's hard not to feel confident whenever they kind of go out there. And I, I'm at the point now with Josh Taylor that uh, when he comes in, I'm not holding my breath, which I was doing for quite a while, so. uh, But I think it's a big deal that he got the eighth inning um, and was sandwiched between Adavino and Barnes because if that's going to be consistently like the back three, basically uh, the seventh, eighth, and ninth, that's going to be really hard to score runs.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, and and I think that uh, the thing that stood out to me during Josh Taylor's last outing against the Yankees. in particular, was that fastball velocity for him. We hadn't seen, you know, 96, 97 consistently um, from him. Uh, and and we hadn't seen quite that bite on the slider either. So, you know, the guy finally looks fully healthy. And I think this is one of Cora's best traits as a manager. Um, and, and at times, I think it does hurt him. But I think by and large, it is a positive trait uh, that he, he stays with guys. You know, he stayed with... With Kike, uh, you know, during his cold streak, uh, he stayed with Marwin, which delivered huge this weekend against the Yankees during his cold streak. And he stayed with Taylor during that awful month where, you know, we were both banging the drum for him to go, get options so he could figure things out uh, in AAA. And, and I also uh, have to give Cora props for doing what we've been banging the drum for him to do with Hirakazu Sawamura and actually inserting him into key situations into games more often that that two-inning hold that he had against the Yankees on Friday was incredible. The dude came in, he he had 5 strikeouts, one walk over two innings and held the Yankees in check. It was it was awesome and he was unflappable. So, um I just love a guy like that in the bullpen. And you're absolutely right, Keaton. I mean, the amount of weapons that they have, coupled with the fact that, you know, the guys lower down, Phillips Valdez got a save in that game uh, on Sunday night against the Yankees. Um, That was a trip. (laughs) It really was. And the pep talk from Cora, you know, coming out and speaking to him in Spanish. And, you know, Xander noted that in his postgame interview, like how important he thought that was. Um it's just, it's huge. I guess the the guys I have the least confidence in in the bullpen right now are Brandon Workman and Matt Andrees. But, like, I'm confident Andrees will figure it out. I don't know what we have in Workman, but whatever. I feel so much better about this bullpen than I did a couple weeks ago. And I think it's a legitimate strength. It's hard to complain about the pitching right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, even myself as old Negative Nancy. uh I don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> yeah. As hard as I try, they've taken it all away from me. I guess the the one of the scarier
1: guys out of the guys who we talked about in a positive light is Darwin's and Hernandez. He still can be a little fast and loose at times, um, but his stuff is so good. He gets himself out of these jams.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen him go through these spurts. He had one earlier uh, in the year where he went, um, he went nine nine innings and had like 24 25 26 strikeouts um just want i mean i don't necessarily need him to be that good all the time but consistent because his stuff is good enough to play up like that right
1: well moving on from the bullpen Keaton um i think it's worth talking about the leadoff situation this is something that you've yeah. been monitoring quite a bit Uh, over the course of uh, this season, and it was Kike's job for most of the year. But recently, uh, Cora has been turning to uh, Danny Santana in that role. Um, He hasn't been very effective as a leadoff hitter either. Um, It seems like this is one area where the Red Sox are still struggling to find their way. You know, J.D., Xander, Devers, Renfro um Cora has been vocal that those guys are not options for that position um and I think it would be hard to put a guy like Marwin or Christian in a leadoff position so I mean what are the Red Sox options we we saw you know today uh Christian Arroyo led off and I I thought that was okay um Is there anybody that stands out to you who is like the clear leadoff guy who needs to be there? Are you still banging the drum for Verdugo?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like Verdugo would be the best fit. Um, However, he doesn't feel comfortable in that spot. And if he's not comfortable there, uh, and that's going to be in his head, then you kind of think you can go with him. Right. Um, Jaron Durant? Seems like a great option, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being fully honest. Uh, but of the guys who are currently up at the Major League level, um, I think this is going to shock you. But I'm going to say Christian Arroyo, I think, would be a great option there. Well, I'm going to shock you back. I agree. <laughs> yeah, you've uh, – well, I mean, Christian Arroyo himself has – I've come around on him, and he's done that. But you also touting him has, has convinced me to believe. But – yeah, today was the the lineup for today against Miami was the first time that Kiki Hernandez and was starting in the lineup and not leading off. Uh it was Danny Santana again. Uh Santana's I mean, he hasn't been good in the lead off but He really hasn't been effective anywhere else either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um it it's just so weird to see um you know, maybe this is an analytics thing, but like there was such an emphasis. There used to be such an emphasis on who hit leadoff. Now there's the data to show you should have your best hitter uh, hitting second. Which, with all due respect to Rodrigo, I don't think that's him. But he's a good fit in that position. But it seems like yeah. they've they, like they've done a full 180 and just completely tossed out who's leading off. Which, of course, only matters for the very first at bat of the game. But um, they don't seem too concerned with who they have there uh, and who you know is is comfortable uh, with it. And they're just kind of letting people go um i don't think it's a huge issue uh if it's not affecting the rest of the lineup and the, the guys that they have everyone that you just mentioned that's two through five two through six is such a good hitter that it doesn't matter who's hitting in front of them and they're gonna score runs and they're gonna win games because of it it's not something that's struggling down through the rest of the, of the lineup having somebody struggling in that spot so As long as that continues to be the case, I don't really care who's there. Um, Mm. But I think when Duran gets here, uh, maybe not right away, but eventually it'll be his spot in the lineup.
1: Yeah. I I think I probably agree with that. I'm just trying to think of, like, anyone else who it would be. The only thing that kind of might screw with that is that Duran is a left-handed bat. Uh, And and Verdugo is a lefty, so you'd be going double lefties to start the game. Um, And right now, this year, I mean, he's been... Cora has been going with Kike, a righty, or Santana, a switch hitter, or Arroyo, a righty. So, you know, I don't know if he would have strong feelings about that. But then also, like it would be easy enough to shift around things. Like, I don't know. Xander makes a ton of sense in the two spot, but he's such a good hitter at driving runs in. I don't think you want to move him out of the cleanup spot. So, I don't know. It, it does get interesting. Would you be okay with going two lefties in a row at that point? Yeah. Okay. Let's get wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than the Yankees can do because they don't have any lefties. Boom. Roasted. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, we still haven't figured out lead off, but, you know, hopefully that will re- resolve itself at some point soon. Uh, shall we get to some listener questions, Keaton? We shall. All right. First one comes from Jake, which is not me. He says, is the Duran hype getting out of control? He's nearly 25. He's still a question mark in the outfield, and his hit tool is an elite. There's a lot riding on that newfound power. Is Aaron Hicks his high-end pro comp, whereas I think a lot of fans think he's going to be George Springer? Keaton, this one elicited a passionate response from you, so take it away.
0: So mainly it was that first sentence. Um, or, I guess, the first part of the second <laughs> sentence. Um, I don't think the hype is getting out of control. I think um, Springer might be a little bit aggressive just because Springer has shown uh, at times a lot more power. Um, so, I don't, but I mean, I don't think the power is something that's going to hold him back because I, I believe in it uh, now seeing it here outside of the outside. However, um, he is currently 24 in AAA. And he was a 21 year old when he was drafted. He has had, had uh, half a season in 2018, a full season in 2019, nothing in 2020, and a very small season here in 2022. All told, three seasons of uh, three, like full years of what would have been full minor league if you include uh, 2020. That's right on track with what his development should be for a guy that was drafted at 21 years old. I think, um. Why that jumped out to me is because the fact that we have Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna, Jr., Juan Soto playing Major League Baseball right now is just stupid. We're so spoiled. <laughs> We're, like this, this doesn't happen like once in a generation. <laughs> to have guys like that, um, the fact that he is about to turn, um, I think he's got three months until he turns twenty-five, so he should debut as a twenty-four-year-old um, is just right on track with what his progression should be. And if they hadn't lost 2020, um, you know, it'd it'd be a year earlier. Um, Guys normally make their debuts at this stage. That's not the fact that, uh, you know, he's almost 25. I don't think is a negative mark against him. Um, Especially with having lost a season of minor league development.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you, Keaton, uh, on on pretty much everything you said there. And I also want to note that, you know, today's updated Baseball America uh, Top 100 uh, Prospects list came out. And uh, the Red Sox had some very high risers on this. Uh, Tristan Casas went from being 38th to 27th on the list. Jaron Duran jumped from 86th to twenty nine just two spots behind Tristan Casas, and they threw a 55 on his hit tool, which is the highest grade I've seen on that hit tool, to go along with a 70 run in a 50 field. So I think that a lot of people are starting to see that the work ethic and the athleticism will eventually allow him to play a passable center field and that the hit and power are so much better than we originally thought.
0: Yeah, Fangraphs and MLB also have 55 on his hits, so it may not be elite, but it's certainly above average. Yeah. And it, it's it's
1: playable enough for him to get to, you know, that newfound power. And I don't think that I don't think that's going anywhere. So neither I, do I. I'm buying the hype. I'm buying the hype big time. Uh and also Downs was on here. I'm trying to find where Downs was. Okay, so Downs actually uh, dropped a little bit. Downs went from fifty ninth to sixty ninth. So nice. Yeah, but you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. But I think that I mean what you just outlined, where it's not just Homer fans; it's actual talent evaluators are saying right. the same things that we're excited about. So I don't think it's overblown to be really excited about what this guy could bring, and I don't think his age is uh, much of a factor. It's not like I would be if he was. 24 years old, 24 years and nine months old, um, in high A, then I would be concerned. But he's on the brink of a major league debut, should make that debut at 24 years old. That's just right on track. Yep. Totally agree.
1: Um, and, uh Yeah. All right, yeah. I I thought I had something else there, and then I just my brain imploded. All right, let's move on to the next listener question. Oh yeah, I remember what it was. Okay, um, Todd Frazier says he's the next uh, Mike Trout, so take that for what it's worth. Huh? Yeah, uh, Todd Frazier. Hey, good, I've always good said the leader. best
0: talent evaluator in the game is Mister Todd Frazier.
1: That's right. Trust trust in the phrase. All right, our next question also is tailor-made for you, Keaton. Tom <laughs> Kelly uh, says, is it too soon to say that the Red Sox won the Mookie deal?
0: So here's the thing. When teams make a trade and one of the teams accomplishes the goal that it set out to accomplish immediately, to me, I think it kind of wipes away the win or the lost thing and it just becomes a trade that happened. Dodgers made the trade to win a World Series and they did. That kind of just ends the conversation, right? It doesn't matter. Mookie could be the worst player in the world for the next ten years. It doesn't matter. They wanted a World Series and they got one. Right? So it's the exact same thing with Chris Sale. Like, um uh, Yomankata and Michael Kopek looking pretty solid over there. The White Sox, and then we look at um Kopek and be like, Oh my god, it'd be so nice to have a young stud pitcher like that. We won a World Series, it doesn't matter. Chris Sale could never recover from Tommy John ever. The trade accomplished what it was supposed to do, so I don't look at it as a win loss thing anymore, um, because the Dodgers got exactly what they wanted.
1: Yeah, and I and I almost, uh, you know, I I agree with that to to a lot to to most. I agree with most of what you just said. Um, you know, the the thing is that I think you kind of have to start judging the Mookie deal from like when that deal starts the the deal that they signed him to that 300 and whatever million dollar monster uh that they signed Mookie to. So like if Mookie sucks for the rest of that deal, like good on the Red Sox for not caving and paying all of that money. Um and and Verdugo is a very productive player, but you know, you're absolutely right. They traded for that season of Mookie. They yeah. got Mookie. They won. So, yeah. you know, they would not they would not go back on that deal. There's no way they'd be like, yeah, you know what? Give me Verdugo and his back issues for that season. Because for that particular season, that was the guy. Yeah. So, yeah, totally agree.
0: And that's like the exact same thing with Sale. If he never recovers from Tommy John and just can never get it back again, never pitches again, I won't look at that as a bad trade because the Red Sox won a World Series and they got one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, however, I will say, Red Sox fans who complained about this trade, ad nauseum, um, Verdugo probably making you feel a little bit better about it, right?
0: Yeah. you, know, you could, I'm literally talking to you right now. You can just say my name. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I'm glad you're in the Verdugo <laughs> fan club here.
0: Yeah, and I was when they made the deal. I just, Mookie was my favorite player, and he's very good at baseball, and I thought that he could have helped the team more being on it. Yeah, Verdugo's a great player, though. Him mic'd up the other night. <laughs> the Yankee Stadium was great.
1: Oh, he's the best. He is. No one has more fun playing baseball. Than Alex Verdugo does, and it's clear that his energy is infectious, and he is—he's uh, always in Cora's ear too, man. It always seems like he wants to learn something. Rafi Devers is a pretty happy boy out there, though. He is a happy boy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of happy boys on this team. Sure do. All right, our next question comes from Jason Crane, and he says, "Do you have a favorite moment of the season so far?"
0: Ooh, um, I mean the sweep of the Yankees. If I have to boil it down to like a specific event in a game, um, shoot, I don't know. I'm gonna I go pro- with the sweep of the Yankees.
1: I probably should have uh prepared uh for this one a little bit better. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I did not read the questions before we started
0: recording others, so
1: yeah, um. <laughs> It's hard to pick a particular moment especially like, you know, watching every game or or part of every game uh during the season. There's just so much that that you see. Um I guess two two things that stand out to me um was being at the uh game with my dad this year was really cool cuz I got to see Perez, who's my guy. Um and they won that game um with a, a huge offensive output. So that was cool. But I think the the most important feeling moment of the year was definitely that sweep in Yankee Stadium uh, in totality. So I agree with you there, Keaton. But um, I'm trying to think of like if there's some signature play that we are omitting that is particularly important. I mean, they've had so many freaking comebacks. It's just like – yeah. <laughs> they it's like hard to be like oh that comeback win cuz they have like 22 of
0: them or something. So um. Yeah, there was one early in the season where they came back like three times and then won it in extras. I think yeah. it was against the Jays. When like they both scored in extras. That that just felt like a 2018 win, so that one sticks out. Yeah. Um a little bit. I mean, obviously it doesn't stick out a lot cuz I can't pinpoint it, but I remember <laughs> it. <laughs> we talked about it. Yeah. My brain's
1: processed a lot since since then, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, this season's been a joy. Uh, total total difference uh, from 2020 and 2019 that were very frustrating, so this was much needed. Uh, next one comes from Forrest Blevins, and he says, biggest needs at the deadline. Uh, what would you say is the biggest need now that we've kind of talked about the bullpen being more of a strength than uh, it has been in the past?
0: Well, I still feel like it's the bullpen. Okay. Um, I feel confident in it, the way it's pitching now, and it, obviously it's been significantly better than I thought. But, uh, I mean, we just outlined how everybody has been inconsistent. You know, Taylor struggled. Now he's strong. Ottavino, we've detailed his up and down. Darwins and Hernandez. Garrett Whitlock started out on fire. Hasn't been quite as strong lately, but still been strong. Barnes has really been the only consistent uh, pitcher in the bullpen from start to finish here. We had Matt Andrees, we didn't talk about, but he he was your boy there for the first month of the season. Yeah, he was great. And he's kind of fallen off. So just more consistency in the bullpen, I think, is what they need.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they definitely need more consistency. I think if I was looking at it from a complete outsider's perspective, I would look at the lack of production from first and second base and say that addressing one of those positions – uh, with a better bat to maybe lengthen the lineup a little bit more would be the move. But, you know, with, with Casas and downs looming um, at some point and them expecting better things out of Dahlbeck and, and Marwin and, you know, some of the other guys of Royo playing second base, I don't necessarily know that they'd go that way. The thing that I think would be the best thing for them to do is, is go out and get that Max Scherzer, that, impact starter that you can sign in the future as well that just like makes this rotation head and shoulders above the other teams that you're competing against and uh you know i i think that would be a huge spiritual lift for the team huge on the field lift and just a a death knell or a gut punch to the yankees in in toronto you know two teams that are hurting in their rotations right now. Yeah. So that would be in the knockout punch. And uh, our last question comes from Jesse, and he says, what do we do at leadoff? What's wrong with Kike? Uh, well, hopefully we already addressed your question there. Um, Kike just hasn't been getting on base enough, um, and and I think he will be better. But, you know, don't expect Kike to all of a sudden turn into like, some 300 hitter
0: cuz cuz that ain't him. Yeah. Is actually like his line for this year is remarkably similar to similar to his line last year and basically the same amount of games. Played 48 last year, played 45 this year. 5 home runs both season. Uh 4.1 walk rate, his walk rate's 6%, so it's slightly up uh this season. 21% strikeout rate, 23% this year. Uh hit 230 last year he's hitting 224 had a 270 obp last year he's hitting 277 career 239 hitter um he's kind of just been himself this is just who he is yep <laughs> i completely agree man like you know look,
1: looking at this guy and expecting him to take some huge jump he had an 83 WRC plus last year, 88 the year before, 118, which was his best season, then 92 in 67. So his 78 from this year is much more in line with most of his career than anything else. So yep. we were expecting the jump uh, because Cora wanted him to make that jump. But he may, might just be a really good complementary player. He's probably yeah. not a starter on a
0: on a championship team it was right? more for his defensive ability than his mm-hmm. offensive ability right i mean it's the fact that he could play pretty solid defense at a bunch of key positions and yeah what you got at the plate was gravy exactly yeah he's more
1: league average to slightly below at the plate and a, a great clubhouse guy great energy guy great defense guy so yeah you know I- important these guys are important and you can't over uh overplay the importance of these guys on championship teams but just no you know don't expect the don't expect them to to kill it all right um that does it for this edition of our show we do hope you enjoyed this one and thanks for tuning in to the show um check out our other shows on the network uh keaton and shelly do an amazing job with the pre-cap podcast uh, the Red Sox On Deck podcast with uh, Shelly and Bob Osgood is excellent for getting you caught up on all sorts of Red Sox prospect stuff. And then the Over the Monster podcast uh, gives you um, Matt Collins, you know, the, the, the biggest writer on our site, uh, as well as Brian Joyner, uh, sharing all their opinions about Red Sox stuff uh, as well. So all great shows. Tune into those. Uh, keep subscribing. Rate, review. Uh, pump us up and uh, shout us out on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at, at Dev Jake. And you can find Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next week.